Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Dangerous Rhetoric. This is episode 68, and today we are joined by Brian Edward. He is a director at Myth Informed, which we'll get into what Myth Informed is and what they do. But first, I want to remind everyone to like, subscribe, and leave a comment if you can. Uh, share the show with your friends. Just sharing the show with one friend really helps. And if you are able and you want to uh, make a financial contribution to the show, uh, there are links in the description. You can give it, you know, PayPal, uh, Venmo, or um, Cash App. It's all there. So thank you, Brian, for joining us. We really appreciate you spending the time. Uh, maybe just uh, give a brief int uh, introduction and tell us what is Myth Informed. Yeah, so Myth Informed is a, a community org that we set up a while back in like 2013. Uh, initially, it was meant to talk about to get discourse going around religion. So there's been a lot of you know, religious strife. Certainly when you looked back in France, it seemed like there was an Islamic bomb going off, you know, every uh, every five minutes in France. Like that Islam and, and that, that kind of East versus West that way was, was big. But if you think too, there's always been this huge uh, negative push between Christianity and our you know, different forms of this, like Catholicism versus Protestantism. You know, before the 1960 election of Kennedy and like when that was going, there was a huge narrative of if Kennedy wins, we're going to be run by Rome you know, yeah. in the United States. That was a thing, right? I mean, it was weird. It was. People that were Protestants, Christians didn't go into each other's churches. This was a big taboo. Largely like that, that has fallen away. Uh, and the new hot button topic, you know, religion still may be kind of a hot button worldwide, but, but as in the West, it's, it's not that it's the rise of new political ideologies and new factions. So what we primarily do now is talk around things like sociopolitical um, concerns. Yeah. It seems like there is a lot more, almost like a religious fervor, especially on the left. You could say that about the, you know, the, the religious right, which is the new talking point mm -hmm. I've being pushed. Yeah. The left are like the new Puritans almost. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but yeah, the language on, on the current evangelical Christians continues to change. So now it's, it's Christo-fascists. <laughs> Christo right? You've seen that. Like, I'm like, wow, it used to just be called like the right-wing nutbags or, you know, the, the crazy religious right. Now it's Christo-fascists. So Myth Informed, originally kind of you guys were trying to have conversations around religion, but as when, when was that? When did you guys start? You know, when was like the founding? Yeah, 2013, the first time um, we ever then did conferences. So part of it has been like a face. It started out as a Facebook page and then obviously jump, you get Instagram, Twitter and, you know, all these things later to social, all this. But um, so really it was just kind of making points on, on that. But then in 2015, we started doing like live conferences so that, you know, bringing people to speak and, and talk about these things and actually bringing people in to watch that. So it, it's, it's a lot bigger when you're doing these things in person. They're a lot more fun, a lot more meaningful than when you do them online. Not that online podcasts aren't cool and stuff, but like it's, it's cooler when you have these things together. And then we started pushing them then towards debate. So in like in 2015, it was just kind of bringing people together. And then in 2016, it was, no, we should have people talk. So we talked about um, like, is Jesus a historical person or is this like a, a mythos? Is this somebody like, you know, Paul Bunyan, 
you know, and that there's a myth built around them. So we'd have that and we tried to bring in the best people to support both sides of that. You know, is there evidence for the resurrection? Stuff like that. But now it's it's much more on, you know, what what's good about social justice? Are do ESGs make sense? Do the, is the FBI at all trustable? Um, what do we do with detransitioners? Like, is that a mental health crisis? That's those are the things that we're trying to get at. Do you feel like the the era of Trump is one of the things that kind of shifted the focus of the conference? Yeah, something changed. And I don't know. It was really happening like in 2016 because I, I went to like the Reason Rally, which was nominally like this this atheist thing. And, and I remember I spent 75% of my time querying the people if there was something weird going on, you know, politically. And that there, at some point, I don't know if this was before Trump got elected or right, maybe before he was president, maybe he was elected, but not president yet. There was this viral video going from Occupy Democrats that just was fascism resist, fascism resist. And like, I'd never seen anything quite like that. And it went viral and I'm like, okay, something's changed. Yeah, I remember the when Trump was elected. I went to bed that night thinking I was going to wake up to Hillary Clinton being president. And you and many others probably. <laughs> you went to sleep? I'm surprised. Wow. Like I stayed yeah. up till like three in the morning. But I, I stayed up till like four. And then by the time I realized that this was going to, they were going to drag this on, I was like, I'm going to bed. This is okay. So you say, right. <laughs> okay. So you stayed up. I did, um, and I realized that we weren't getting the results that night. No, no, hold on. That's the, you're thinking about 2020, not 2016. Oh, yeah, sorry. 2016. 2016, actually, funny enough, I'll never forget that election because I was at my friend's house, but a few blocks away where my family home was, there was a fire. Uh, a house burnt down two doors from us, and it actually almost spread to our house. So um, I just, I very much associate, like, Trump becoming president with that with the house being set on <laughs> fire a house you know, <laughs> yeah, a lot down, of people make like, that association that's fine. <laughs> symbolically <laughs> interesting um the way that the liberals reacted or the the democrats in general like you said they went kind of cuckoo bananas yeah. i mean you know trump was just he, he was he's just a guy you know and he's he was a democrat for most of his life and the only reason he ran as a republican was because that was you know how he was going to be able to get in you know he couldn't get in in the democratic party um, and the way that the people reacted. I mean, I'll never forget that one woman at his inauguration who became a meme for just being yeah. like, no! Oh, that's a great hat wearing lady. Right. She was great. I mean, well, not, well, she's memorable. That's for yeah. sure. Um, so myth informed what, oh, Daniel and I went to the event in Fort, at Fort Worth. We had a great time. Sweet, sweet. Was a lot of fun. Um, we had really interesting conversations with, uh, all kinds of people and we got to meet a lot of people that we had only met previously, you know, like this, like through the digital medium we've had, you know, we had Carrie uh, Smith on the show. We had Josh Slockham on, we had Mikey cool. Arlo. Yeah, I think Mike was the only one we had met in person before. Yeah. Mikey before was, that, yeah. Mikey was, the only no, one it, it was definitely great to be in a, in an environment and atmosphere where you could have the conversations openly and, and you could have them across the aisle too. And, you yeah. know, like the fact that some of those debates definitely got very heated on stage, especially between James Lindsay and Destiny. <laughs> oh my God. It still went pretty well though, right? But like when you're talking about hot button issues and you have passionate people, you expect to get heated. Yeah. But the thing is like both you've come and you've said you're gonna do it. It's, it's sort of like, 
I don't know, like, is an MMA fight under control or not? Well, you know, like, even though they're going at each other, there's still a lot of respect yeah. and going on. It's it, all it, violent. I'm glad respect for the institution. Yeah. And, and I think that's what it's the minimum requirement is the respect for the, the institution and that we're doing this. And as I'm long as that's preserved, then it should go all right. I'm glad you brought up MMA, actually, because when I was watching these debates, especially between James and Destiny, it very much felt like uh, like an intellectual philosophical boxing match. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of what it reminded me of. Yeah. yeah. Very similar. And that's what you want. You, you want the passion, people, because if it's if it goes too easy, if it goes too lazy, then you, you wonder if you want, like, are the people not passionate about what they're saying? Um, or are you just getting people that are milk toast on their, uh, their issues? You want to see like when the, the political temperature is hot, like, do I need, you want to ask, was that girl, that Trump girl that was screaming, is she right? Yeah. Because, I mean, like there's, you don't, you want to ask yourself that was that, is there anything to this Occupy Democrats thing that Trump is a fascist? Yeah. You know, but like, you want, are you, you actually, yourself that. Are you actually thinking about the issues too? If it doesn't get to a point where there is some tension and, and pushback, like there has to be some of that conflict. Yeah. If there isn't, then then that probably means the people are who are there are all agreeing with each other too much. Then are you really thinking about the issues, or are you yeah. guys all patting each other on the back? So and you you kind of really want to know the issues. You gotta have have something for it because the idea that Trump is a fascist, like that didn't pick up for a lot of people. When the, when I first saw that Occupy video, a lot of the chat was like, this is just propaganda. And this was even coming from lefties who then later were saying that Trump is a fascist two years later. So when you just keep repeating a message over and over and over, I think you can take a population and you can spook yeah. them. Well, that's how propaganda works and hypnosis too, but that's how propaganda works. It's, it's a repetition, repetition, repetition. Yeah. It's the same way, like, it's the same reason really well-structured pop songs get stuck in your head. They are designed to get stuck in your head. That's that's why they call, like, the chorus usually, like, a hook in some of these songs. It's meant to hook you in. Interesting. Yeah, I used to I used to think propaganda. I would just kind of laugh at it. And now I'm like, man, that shit works. <laughs> Have you read Edward Bernays? I haven't. You should definitely read that book, Propaganda. Like, he literally wrote the book, Propaganda. <laughs> yeah. Re he was uh, the... Nephew of Freud, I always forget. It was, was early early twentieth century. Yeah, and you know he worked with co corporations and politicians, and you know on their campaigns. And his whole thing was like, how do you sell ideas? You know, it's the same way you can sell a product. Yeah, it's interesting parallels to marketing. Mm -hmm. Repeating the message, knowing your target audience. Yeah. A lot of it's yeah. how to control the the group mind, the mass mind. And it's like, look, the people in power. Like we would be stupid to think that they aren't interested in those things and trying trying to understand like how does the the mass consciousness work and how can we mold it or push it into a particular direction that we want it to be in. It sounds crazy and conspiratorial to people, but it's not. You know, when you look at power, that's how it's always been through history. This is what people in power do. Yeah. That, that makes sense to me. Yeah. And certainly it worked. I mean, you can you can spook people a lot easier than I thought. Yeah. Well, look at the last two years <laughs> with the <laughs> lockdowns and all that stuff. So. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, uh, Brian, about, so you guys did the one in Texas. You guys do events like every year. That was our first one. That was the first time we really like heard of Myth Informed. Which one was that? The November or April one? Uh, this was the April one. Okay. So do you guys do it twice a year, once a year? Yeah. I was trying to do one in the spring, one in the fall. Okay, cool. Um, and have you had uh, like, problems before i know i'm remembering like i know tim talked about an event in camden i think a couple of years ago were you guys involved with in that one 
Um, I don't know if it was Canada, but there was just, we had, yes, two problems um, that were significant as far as like trying to hold the events and uh, outside forces not wanting you to hold the events and then it creates issues. So in seven, 2017, I think what the one Tim might be talking about is um, one, we branded Mines IRL because we we're teaming with like Tim Pool and Mines. Right. And in 2019, we actually did lose our venue um, with, we had a, hundreds and hundreds of tickets sold at maybe $90,000 of total like this. And then our venue nine or 12 days prior to the event says, okay, you're out. Can't contract cancel. You don't have a venue. Wow. Wow. And yeah. then you've got all these people that, that have bought tickets that are like, Oh, you know, and then it's public because Antifa bills this as a win of what do you do? Like Antifa was, was calling the theater, doing this, putting it on their own thing. They even hacked the theater's Twitter account and said, wow. this, this Twitter account will be of the Hitman Theater will be held hostage until they cancel the Nazis. Oh so this God. is the kind of like bully that they, uh, they kind of cowed to. And uh, weirdly enough, the, the bar that we we're gonna have the after party, which was like five blocks down the street, owned by two progressive Jewish people did not cancel us. So while we found a new venue and struggled to find that, thankfully we did at a casino, they, uh, they, and they, we didn't release that venue. What we said, yes, we've secured a new venue, but we, we were not going to release where it is. Here's the zip code in which it is, but then we'll, we'll release it at eight o'clock in the morning and the doors open at 1030. And that was the idea. Like, you know, so park close, but we're not going to do it because we don't want this new venue to come under attack. And at 802 Media Matters released the uh, thing to Antifa. So the call started coming into the new venue, but they can't. So the word to organizers, they can't cancel you if you release the, uh, the point the day off because you can't, they, they, they need time to, to build. So anyways, that was crazy. But then we had to go back to the uh, after party. And sure enough, you've got a whole group of, I don't know, 7,525 Antifa people all screaming, KKK, go away, throwing racial slurs at our black attendees and sexual slurs at women attendees. Was uh, was this the event that, um what's his name, Daryl Daryl Davis? Daryl Davis, yeah. He was called a white supremacist. That's, for that's so crazy. I will never forget because I remember when all this happened and that was the one thing I really remember like taking away from the story, yeah. I was like, wait, they called Daryl Davis a white supremacist? Yeah, that's Great. right. You know, it's it's in the same way that you might call Marshall Patain a Nazi, right? He's a collaborator. He's He's gone to their side. That's that's the idea. They, they don't treat him any better than like an official in the Vichy, Vichy government. And for anybody listening who is not familiar with Daryl Davis and his work, Daryl Davis is a African-American jazz musician, jazz musician who has over the last several decades de-radicalized many members of the KKK, yeah. specifically just by sitting down and, and having conversations with them. Got them to take their robes off, give it up and give all that up. And it's like, you know, we're told that these people are locked in their ways and you can't possibly change them. But it's like people can change, you know, if you, you can get through to someone if you're willing to communicate, even though it might seem impossible with certain people. I know he had like, he's got how many suitcases full of that stuff must he have? Yeah. Because on stage, I thought one of the, the optics things, so here's Daryl Davis on stage and talking, having this interview and he goes into this suitcase down below and he pulls out a literal Nazi flag and he holds it up like this. And I'm like, oh God, <laughs> I'm gonna take a picture, you know, and, but what he was doing was saying, you know, this is the flag that he also gave me in addition to his cloak. And what's interesting is when he dropped it, 
he didn't fold it up all nicely and put it back in the thing. He just kind of dropped it on the floor. So, you know, it, it was, that was kind of going You're like, huh, you know, so he's showing the flag, but he's not venerating it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Daryl Davis. And I think what's interesting about his story is that it sort of parallels, you know, the work of myth informed, like you guys, you know, on a much larger scale, you host conversations that with the goal of de-radicalizing yeah. or, or bringing the sides together to come to some sort of consensus, yeah. which I love. Um, yeah. I wonder if the, you know, the event coming up, the Minds Festival at the Beacon Theater here in New York City, um, I wonder if they're having any, you know, pushback uh, at that venue or if they're getting any threats or what it'll be like outside there. It'll be interesting. Yeah, not that I'm aware of. Like, I mean, that you never know. Things can happen fast. Um, yeah, you don't know. It's not, I haven't seen that so far. Oh, that's good really to... what, what we're trying to do is like, and Daryl Davis is talking to people that are already radicalized, you know, um, here, I think what we're trying to do is being a hedge against radicalization. And it, you know, if you can reach across the aisle, like, I guess maybe it's a smaller degree. Like, I don't know. I, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, Davis is, is amazing. So I don't want to put myself no, at that level. I get what you mean. He's, but, he's the process of de-radicalizing people who are already radicalized. And what I think you guys are trying to do is you're, you're trying to prevent people from being radicalized. Yeah, from further, oh. yeah, to entrenching themselves. Because if you can, like, show up at the event, notice that, like, a lot of the progressives, so I give a ton of credit to people like Justin Gibson, who's like Jangle Science Lab and, um, you know, Destiny uh, people like Ben Burgess and um, Michael Rodriguez that come to like our lefties come and argue in good faith, but they're getting a ton of crap for there's like Peter Coffin's another one. They're saying, why are you, you know, cause these are people that have their lefty bona fides and then they come to this event and then they'll say, why, why are you giving legitimacy to these Nazis? Yeah. Well, that's because the it, it does when, when people on the left that are, have their bona fides do come, it does legitimize the event. And that's what a lot of the true hardcore persons, they don't want that. They hate it. Well, their, their whole thing is deplatforming. Like yeah. they view it as like, if you, if you talk with at all, with any of the people that they disagree with, that in some way is, is exposing more people to their ideas and legitimizing their ideas. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to bury them. Push yes. Them back society. You don't want to normalize them. Yeah, it's very Marcuse. And like, this is why I love James Lindsay so much is he points out that Marcuse says just this. Because Marcuse is this guy that comes over from the Frankfurt School, right? He's, he knows a lot about Nazism, right? And, and how the heck did this happen? And he's trying to say, well, we could have stopped Nazism had we done like X, Y, and Z. And that's sort of what he's saying. So he's like, do not give any right-wing thought any quarter at all. You kind of create this leftist ratchet so we can't possibly move right. The problem is, yes, while that will always stop something like Nazism, it, it will not stop the reverse, you know? And I query on whether Nazism is actually technically right-wing. Certainly the ultra-nationalist part is, but... You know, some of this other stuff, I, you know, Pol Pot's rhetoric, Stalin's rhetoric, you know, and the rhetoric against the outgroup, these are all the same. Yeah. This is just nasty outgroup rhetoric. And I, I think that anyone on the right or the left could do that. Well, I think with the leftists, they focus on like the class differences. And that, that's, I think sure. that's the main difference. Whereas, yeah, the right, like you said, it, it's to, it tends to be like an ultra nationalism. But you, you can get the extreme of left or right. And when you get the extreme of either side, it's just, it's it's still authoritarianism, even if it it's And it's an outgroup, demonizing the outgroup, whether yeah. it's the wreckers, the kulaks, yeah. you know, wh whoever this is, like, you know, some kind of class, the bourgeoisie, 
those are the people we need to go round them up and get them. You know, but you know, it could be an ethnic group too. But any of this stuff is really bad. Yeah, we've been seeing you know a lot of demonization of conservatives lately, and I myself, I you know, I've always leaned left growing up. I was very liberal, and as I've aged, I become more conservative. Uh, I used to consider myself a liberal until that sort of became a dirty word, I guess, in like the late teens. Uh, and now I'm more like, I consider myself more a moderate or an independent. Um, and, you know, I have liberal and conservative views depending upon yeah. the issue, which I think is really representative of most Americans. I don't, I don't think most Americans really fall hard on one side or the other. And yeah. it's more probably like, you know, there's about a quarter of us on the right and a quarter of us on the left and probably about the half of us in, in the middle somewhere. Yeah. And it's really important that we allow for that. It seems to me that to have a left and a right is essential in yeah, yeah. functioning, you know, uh, what, what we call this, a liberal, uh, you know, enlightened constitutional yeah. republic. Or so, so this makes me think of Peterson, you know, when he talks about the big five and temperament and that people vote their temperament, you know, like conservatives tend to be more, more conscientious. They're really good at running things. Once things are in order, they're good at keeping the machine going, but they're not as good, say, conscientious wise, if they don't have, you know, creative type mind they're not as good as coming up with the new ideas mm -hmm. whereas liberals tend to be more open right they're more creative they're they're willing to push the boundaries and you kind of need both in the society because you don't want to be so extremely conservative that everything is rigid and there's no room for movement and and improvement but you also don't want to be so liberal where you just throw away all boundaries completely and just burn the whole damn system down and then that creates a power vacuum so you know like you said brent you said society might need a left and a right. Yeah, I would actually argue as well. a healthy left yeah. and a right. And the same I would, I would argue as well that we also need a middle. Yeah, being, things fix carbon and take CO2 and current it. And then other things respirate carbon and take carbon and blow it out in CO2. Those things work in balance. You, you don't want like to wipe out one side or the other. Yeah, I yeah. think we need the middle though. Because look, if when the middle starts to fall out and the two sides become more and more disparate more entrenched in their views that's when like we start seeing real violence actual fighting starts and i feel like the people in the middle who kind of aren't sure we're, we're more willing to try to have these conversations to bring those from one well, side what's the middle to you like see the you're kind of i think the middle yet politically engaged but there yeah. seems to be a middle out there that's apolitical and not yeah. engaged this, i call them the get a, go along to get along crowd huh. you know that's those point. are the ones I think that can kind of be moved by the temperature. Like they don't really speak up. They just kind of go in. Like those are the people that you have to create space for because they, they'll, they'll self-censor based on the culture around them. True. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what we've been seeing, you know, especially since the era of Donald Trump and especially since the 2020 riots, you know, we have had a much more, uh, just sort of violent political expression. You know, we had the 2020 riots, which raged for months across the country in multiple cities. Uh, nobody wanted to really, like, it, it was funny because nobody wanted to shut it down or, and especially in the major media, they wanted to sort of just fan those flames. Oh yeah, and dismiss it too, mostly peaceful and things like that, you know, fiery, but mostly peaceful. And it's like, <laughs> I'll never forget fiery, but mostly peaceful. Literally sent the president into his bunker, but that's not an insurrection. 20 never forget 529 20 up <laughs> yeah everyone forgot that's right it was it was late may that's right and that that, that thing that's so that's four days after george floyd's death yes that's, that ramped up pretty fast yep yeah they were four days after they were burning dc 
They uh, attacked the White House front gate. They injured, I think it was 50 Secret Service agents and forced Donald Trump into a bunker. And they won't dare call that an insurrection. Yeah, when it's just like, if, <laughs> if, I think if they just treated the two things, Jan 6th and that, a little more equally, things would be better in the country now. We would be able to like look at it and be like, well, are we really shocked that something like Jan 6th happened after all that had preceded it building up to it? Personally, it's I'm not. Narrative propaganda, though. Like, if you're going to yeah. call everything like insurrection, well, then call it, you know, or nothing, then nothing. But when yeah. you play one side, so no, this is, but this isn't. Mm-hmm. That's that's the problem. Like same with social media regulation. Like you could play like this really tough game where you get very few strikes, but you you can't let one side have a strike zone that goes from the head to the toe, and the other side that goes shoulders to knees. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I've had uh, I've had one YouTube uh, channel nuked already, and I have had my Twitter accounts nuked twice now. <laughs> the second time I was actually defending the trans community from uh, what I would call right-wing propaganda by pointing out that the Uvalde shooter was not the same as this this pictured trans person that was going around. And I just put the pictures up side by side. Somebody reported it and now I can't get back into that account. It won't even let me appeal. So it's very- Wow. So that you, like, so there, it's almost if they're saying- well, if nobody reads the tweet that you wrote, they might think that these are the same people. Right. So the question that who is, you know, why are they, it's like the, you have that, that fan, fan being flamed from both sides, you know, when they, they try it. And this is also something that we talk about a lot on the show is a lot of how the LGBT or the, the, the gay and, and gay and friends is the way I like to think of them. Um, though I'm not really friends in a lot of places. <laughs> um, how they are, a lot of the extremism is being pushed back. You know, we're seeing a rise in transphobia and homophobia because of some of the unchecked extremism that, you know, some of us have been trying to, you know, yeah. point out and, and rein in a little bit. The drag queen story hours, yeah. for example. They're acting like that stuff isn't happening. And the more, yeah. they the more they don't separate themselves from it and say, well, look, that doesn't represent all of us. The more people who are conservative already or like mean very right, they're just going to become more and more entrenched in those views and they're going to fear all of us and just start. Or they defend them. Yeah. See, that's the other problem. That's what works the same way with like Islam, right? When you have these nasty groups out there, like saying, you know, death to those that draw Mohammed. And then someone's defends them and say, yeah, but that's their conviction, religious belief. Like, stop defending that. Yeah. You know, I don't think that every like regular Muslim must go out and denounce yeah. that because, you know, they maybe they don't even know what's going on. But it's the fact that you have to defend. No, these people aren't radical. Are, are you crazy? Like, Did you hear- stop lying. Because, yeah, the lying makes it worse. What are you covering up? Did you hear about that story in France from a couple years ago? No, that that's way I'm talking about <laughs> after that. This was not that long ago, actually. And there was a, a teacher who oh, had one. shown the cartoons of Charlie Hebdo in class for a lesson to teach about that. Oh, wow. And, and he even pre-warned the students that he was going to do this. So one student, a Muslim girl, refused to participate. So she walked out of the class. He didn't okay. kick her out. She walked out of the class. She left herself. She went home, complained to her father. Her father made a video about this online, about, oh, my God, this is terrible. Like, they're showing the Prophet Muhammad and all this stuff. Fast forward a little bit. A young, radicalized teenage Muslim shows up at the school, waits for the professor to to get out of work on a Friday, 
um, attacks him and removes his head in the street, cuts it off, takes a video, posts it online. Um, and basically, I think I think Macron even sort of like, I think he actually did kind of condemn it, but I just feel like they're really light on this stuff. And I don't know, I just, that story didn't yeah, even yeah, yeah. hardly You've got a that. tragic situation like that, right? If you can't treat those things fairly, then yeah, yeah you're going to make the problem worse. Yeah, I'm glad you, you know? brought up Islam though, because I feel like that's a subject that we have not really delved into deeply yet on this show. And it is something I do want to talk about more, you know? Yeah, I mean, but it's it's it has kind of cooled down a little bit, right? I mean, like, and it's it's cooled down a bit right now. The radicalism is coming from the other side. Remember, there's there's a group of people that say, "Oh yeah, it wasn't that big of a deal. Nothing really happened with uh, this guy trying to kill or kidnap Kavanaugh, right?" Oh, look, no, you know, no harm, no foul. Is almost <laughs> yep. what they say, and you're like, really? Well, that isn't that what Jan Six? You know, some guy had a bunch of, you know plastic handcuffs or something and you know well, what was he going to do well you can't it's the incongruity that 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 weird narrative and so now that's just going to increase partisanship if you can't talk about that fairly yeah yeah so and you want to find i mean that's the point of like having better discourses to say what here's a person that's on the left that yeah they think this is bullshit they think that yeah strike zones need to be the same on both sides here's what i think like I, that it's a way to encourage people on the left to find a right wing voice that they can like respect and then listen to to try to get a counterpoint and then vice versa. Because I think so much of what's happening is these narratives, one sided narratives, are essentially propaganda. And if you don't have the other side, yeah. then the side in the middle, when they just get like you said, when they keep getting it over and over, they switch. This yeah. is the problem with Twitter censorship. Like. If these people, the normies in the middle or, you know, people in general could hear both sides together, then you're, oh, but, you know, that it rains a lot here. Oh, but the plants grow well or something instead yeah. of, you know, it's awful that it rains here. We have to stop that. Uh, we have to stop the rain. This is why I have uh, always respected Cornell West. I mean, when I was younger, I was more lefty, but even as I've aged and become a little more conservative as I've gotten older, I still have so much respect for Cornell West because he is always willing to talk, to have yeah. intellectual discourse, to listen to the other side. And he's going to be at the event, right? I yes, he is. So, yeah. I mean, when I saw that, I'm just like, yeah, you know, we have to be able to find people from the other political side that we can like in some way, even if we don't disagree with them. I mean, if we, even if we don't agree with them on all the points, but even people on our own side, I don't know anyone who agrees with someone on everything. I right. mean, yeah, yeah, you just don't And we don't agree with like, <laughs> everything. So you, we should have electric cars. Yes. Here's why. Here's why um, it's not as what it's cracked up to be. I mean, you want you just want to hear those things in concert yeah. and then balance them. Like yeah. I just think that that prevents against radical radicalization. Agreed. Well, you brought up Twitter censorship, and one of the things we wanted to talk to yeah. you about was the recent uh, suspension mm -hmm. of Myth Informs Twitter account. Can you just give us a little like uh, what happened there? Yeah. So we got knocked um, a permanent suspension for um, showing a man in the street video where they were talking about attitudes of the the parade goers to, that were watching the Pride March. And the interviewer asks about uh, Desmond is Amazing, which was a, a trans kid that had danced for adults and was receiving dollar bills as tips. Now, in the video, in the final edit, like to watch, show the viewers, you know, to reference, this is the Desmond is Amazing, you know, this was a, this was a news story, showed a Guardian article with a picture. 
And then we got DMCA for copyrighted picture. So even though the video was not about Desmond, it was simply about attitudes, whether kids ought to be involved in drag and his drag adult, that kind of thing. But it quote out a copyrighted picture. So DMCA and then Twitter says, well, you've had multiple violations on your account, so now you're gone. And so, the, the multiple violations were one time um, years ago, we actually had some music and one of our videos playing in the background that we didn't realize and the sweeper caught that. So we just took it down. So and then we tweeted um, misinformation and we tweeted three really bad words. So you might want to do a trigger warning. It was ivermectin saves lives. <laughs> and that was misinformation and we were punished. So Brent has also had a run-in with the mother of Desmond is amazing a few years ago. And this ah. was one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on and talk about this too, because we we're like, oh, you know, she's still out there reporting these things. Brent, you want to tell that story a bit? Well, so one of the reasons I started my original YouTube channel in 2019 um, was just to talk about like the sort of extremism in the gay community and things that I was seeing that were driving me absolutely bonkers. And, and one of those things was seeing young Desmond stripping at a gay bar in the Bronx and, and collecting dollars from the, from the audience. And, you know, that's, that video went viral. It sort of propelled him to fame. And I was talking about him. And, and one of the things that, you know, I've discovered and one of the things that I've noticed, uh, you know, like other podcasters is they, they won't mention him by name because his mother is fiercely disturbed yeah. and willing to use false copyright infringement claims in order to censor any content that is critical of her parenting style uh, or the parenting choices that she has made. Yeah. Um, there was another uh, episode where she had him go on a podcast with Michael Alig, And I'm sure a lot of people don't know, but Michael Alig was a convicted drug dealer and murderer yeah. who was released from prison, I think seven years, eight years after. And um, to just to give people an idea of what we mean by murderer, um, like he chopped someone up into pieces and threw those pieces into the Hudson River. This is the type of person. He was a Dexter. <laughs> yeah. this is, and he got out later and blah, 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 and had a normal life, whatever. And then this is the person that that mother allowed her child to sit down and have a conversation with. And it wasn't just that. It, and, and the, the they were, yeah, they were making like drug references and stuff. It was very disturbing. It's very disturbing. Very disturbing. So, you know, Brett was, was talking about that. He was making videos and long story short, the mother reported. She reported videos. me for copyright infringement and uh, harassment and all these things. And the videos were taken down for a brief period. And then the ones that she copyright claimed, I disputed. And in order to dispute a copyright claim on YouTube, you have to provide your uh, claimant, that is the person that flags your video, with your real name and your address so that if they want to sue you, if they want to take it to the next level, then they can. And if they do so... They have 10 days to do so. They have 10 days to, to file something. And then if they do so, the video will be you know, remain off, uh, pending the outcome of that, of that trial. And if they don't, they restore it. And if it. they don't, they restore it. Um, so they restored <laughs> my video. Um, but your account's gone now. <laughs> but, you know, this was, so years later, I was making, you know, videos that were a little critical of Joe Biden. And there was an event on Twitter called Pinchgate, which um, reviewed the situation of Joe Biden uh, caught on C-SPAN, grabbing the chest of a small girl. She had to have been, you know, 
9, 10, 11 at the time. And she, you know, you can watch on the video as his hand from her shoulder slowly travels to her chest. And then when it gets there, she shrugs him off and steps out in front of him. So it's obvious that he made her uncomfortable. Um, yeah. And then years later, somebody on Snapchat found her and was asking her about it. And she's like, look, I can't really go into this because all of my friends, you know, will disown me. They will say I'm making it up. Um, my father's career is on the line here, you know, because her father was a politician. Um, and I just, I found that so disturbing that I made a video and I entitled it Pinchgate, Joe yeah. Biden is a sexual predator. And that was your last video on and that And that channel. was my last video on that wow. channel. <laughs> so experience. Yeah. And then they that. nuked the channel on his birthday. Right yeah, on, right like on Brent's on birthday. On my birthday, yeah. they, so. they nuked the channel last year. But so. yeah, but that was that again. That was one of the reasons we were like, "All right, let's 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 talk to Brian about that." Yeah, thing. and that's the thing. Like too, weaponizing so. DMCA is again going one way only, right? The right wing could do this too. I mean, you I guess everybody could do the same thing. That you know, this is my copyrighted picture. I own the right to my imagery, and then just knock everybody's channel off. I mean, you wouldn't yeah. be able to report the news. I mean, that, this is why fair use exists. Right. So, but the thing is you have a woke person like that gets to be the first arbiter of the DMCA claim and then any appeal and then what, what punishment or whatever you get, like, do you think you're going to get a fair hearing? It's like to say, well, Stalin had courts and judges. <laughs> do you think you're going to get a fair hearing? Great point. <laughs> really good point. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the things that um, I, I found striking is that, and it's like you said, we see the left constantly using these false claims uh, in order to censor their opponents because they don't want to have the conversation because a lot of times when you hold up, you know, when you have that conversation, a lot of their talking points, a lot of their claims just sort of vanish in the light of day and they are easily disproven. Yeah. It's, it's built on a foundation of sand. So and they know that, you know, you, you once you just hit their ideas with even just some very simple questions. I mean, look at Matt Walsh's documentary. It's the most simple question I guess. Yes. And it's just their ideas fall apart. So they know they can't defend them in, in an actual, you know, arena of intellectual discourse. So they have to censor. They have to deplatform. They have to, you know, push push us underground. Yeah. And I think, too, I think you, you point out correctly that this mother is particularly like personality disturbed or, or whatever. And she's going on to so like in that way, that's a very specific landmine. Okay, fine. You can't control that. There's going to be people that are crazy, but Twitter needs to understand that you cannot let people that are borderline weaponize stuff like this. Yes. Yeah. And I think this is actually one of the big parts of the conversation in the culture that is getting more and more traction is this idea of personality disorders versus mental illness. You know, we think of mental illness, you know, we have, you know, a lot of us have experience with depression, anxiety as sort of, you know, a tangential experience of mental illness. Um, but, you know, they go into things like OCD exists, you know, schizophrenia. These are like what we think of as mental illness. Personality disorders are a little bit more fundamentally different because the disordered individual often does not sent, does not have a, an experience of dis-ease. They don't yeah. feel bad about the way they are. In fact, a lot of times they think they're superior to normal people, quote unquote, because of their, you know, their extreme sociopathy, uh, sociopathy or psychopathy or their malignant narcissism. 
their, uh, the border lines are tend to be a little bit more obvious because they do that sort of extreme switching mm -hmm. where they go back and forth between like love bombing yeah. and a really controlling, manipulative, deceitful behavior. Um, they're a little bit more subtle. And a lot of times the borderlines get confused with bipolar disorder, which right. is more of like, I think of the show Shameless had a really good example of what bipolar is. It's this extreme switching between really, really depressed, you can't get out of bed, um, and mania, being so wound up and high on, on your own, you know, brain chemicals that you just can't stop and you end up, you know, causing yourself problems. That's a lot different from Borderline, which I think we have a good example in the, the Amber Heard situation. I think mm -hmm. her, her ability to switch and to manipulate and to connive is a lot more example of, of Borderline. But as this, this understanding and this, uh, this knowledge sort of comes into the mainstream culture, we're getting more and more of this idea that, oh, not, not everybody is having an, an, a good faith conversation. There are people here that are trying to manipulate and, and yes. distort. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought this up, Brent, because um, we were actually, you, you and I and Josh, we were all talking about this when we were in Texas. And mm -hmm. we felt that one of the main things missing from the Myth Informed Conference was a panel discussion specifically about this subject, about character disturbances, personality disorders, psychopathy, and how that plays into the current political atmosphere that we're seeing. Um, I think uh, I remember his name, the guy with the beard. He looked very Amish. Um, Mike? Mike, I think that was his Mike name. is the, the guy with the red beard. Yeah, oh, yeah, on our team, yeah, Michael. I, I went up to him at the after party right before I left and I brought up to him and, Go on. and he made a note about it. But I was like, you know, the conference was great, but I was just like, next year, you know, you guys should definitely try to have a specific panel discussion about that subject and definitely invite Josh to do it because he would be, <laughs> the be on the panel. Oh yeah, he would be great on that panel. And, and it's just, again, we just feel like it's a subject that is not really being talked about enough and addressed. And it, it may even be at the core in many ways of, of what we are seeing, not just now, but like through history, you know, of why things like this happen and civil wars and, and you know, di dictators and authoritarians take power, et cetera, et cetera. No, it, it, certainly mental health is, um, it, we're, we're, we're going to hit it in some way. I mean, there may be, there may be actually two two panels to do it because one of the things i was looking at it was therapy um you know the, the therapy itself is getting taken over by the woke um you know the fact that you know white i've, I've put clipped many videos out there that when you know white therapist and when you're talking to a black person you better know that you're speaking for a place of privilege blah blah, blah. before you've even interrogated your black patient to whether he buys into this ideology or not and all this, so that's its own crazy thing. And then you've got exactly what you said, um, that we're allowing kind of borderlines to maybe take center stage and leading narratives, which is not good. And I don't think that used to happen. Um, maybe it did, but we can see. And then also like what, what's going on with a uh, potential detransitioner, um, you know, mental health crisis looming. Right. As as more and more people start doing irreversible procedures at 15, 13, 14 or whatever, 17 even like and then you fast forward to 28 and they look back and now they're adults. They've got a lot more command of their life. I mean, come on, like even your healthy cis 17 year old is probably a little weirded out. I mean, you're you're a teenager. This is a tougher time than usual. And they so sit there and have to we, make we've had a decisions. Crazy. 
we've had a detransitioner on twice, actually, a good friend of ours named Laura Becker, and she transitioned at 19, you know, so it was mm-hmm. all illegal for her, all that stuff. And it's like, still young, still young, you know, so it, it definitely raises a lot of questions here about the age. And, you know, we do know that the brain is continuing to develop into like 24, 25. And, mm-hmm. you know, she was of legal age and, and transitioned and did end up regretting it. And, you know, no one that was you know, no one that was recommending that to her as a treatment for what she was going through and her traumas and stuff, no one even stopped to to ask the question of, you know, well, maybe you're not trans, maybe there's something else going on here. Oh, that's a gamble. Yeah. So that's a change. Yeah. If you can't like push back against affirmative care, like come on. Like yeah. but that's wild. It's like wild. so I mean to think that maybe the reason somebody didn't push back is because they were afraid to lose their license. Yes. And yeah, we've seen that. That yeah. happens. Dr. Kenneth Zucker is somebody I've written about before. He was the preeminent specialist in Canada outside of Toronto at their gender clinic. And they would get maybe, you know, a couple of dozen referrals from under 18 year olds per year. And what he noticed was that number started to spike. And then mm-hmm. the official change in guidance came where they are no longer, the old practice was called watchful waiting. So if you had a child with gender dysphoria, the idea was, uh, you know, just watch and wait and see if the dysphoric symptoms persist or they go away on their own. Because in his experience, uh, I think it was something like 86 percent, very high percentage of his patients that then these are, this is like clinical level. So people that were having clinical level discomfort and being referred for treatment, those people were desisting. They were having the dysphoria go away yeah. as Set- they, they were settling into the sex that they were born as, and a large amount of them ended up to Something be seventy like percent of them ended up being homosexuals, so yeah. gay or lesbian um, when they were adults. But what's happening now is actually a little different. And you know, Billboard Chris brought this up when we had him on the show. But we're seeing a huge spike, like an un an unnatural amount of increase in orders in, of magnitude, orders greater. of magnitude of, of people, of children, young, young, young folks visiting these gender clinics. And it's particularly affecting girls. We've, we're finding in the UK, I think the number is like a 5,000% increase in visitations from young girls to these gender clinics. That sounds like a social contagion to me. This is a yeah. different thing now than what Kenneth, Kenneth Sucker was dealing with before this was an established societal issue that we're dealing with. Like it was a very niche thing when he was studying it, and now it's like trendy and he's questioning it and now he's canceled. And he was researching this stuff before all the current well, people. So just to wrap up the discussion of Kenneth he was fired from his job. He was maligned in the press. He sued and won and got a very, very large monetary uh, settlement and then ended up sort of going off and doing his own thing. Um, but yeah, that was, that was him. He's, he's very, very experienced in, in the field of transition, especially as pertains to children. Right. But clearly something has changed. You don't get a 50 X increase without something significant changing. And then the only thing I hear is, oh, the reason why that is, is because the culture has become much, much more accepting and there are more people can come up. And I'm like, well, if that's the case, stop saying that we are, you know, like, yeah. Which is are they in, are they in danger or are they more accepted now? Which right. Are, yeah, because you're no longer oppressed if that's the case. Yeah. You know that's that's the thing the systemic oppression. So you can't have that narrative, and the and they oh it's open now narrative. Yeah. It's what. Yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense. Plus, well, the increase is so huge that it's just 
the, but like, this is the maybe. Yeah. Well, I want to say that maybe the acceptance can explain like a slight increase, but yeah. that was, maybe even a doubling. But yeah. but but fifty x, come on, no. yeah, no, that's. <laughs> But again, this is what we see consistently with radical leftists or you know leftist politicians, uh, is is that they 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 change the definition of terms, mm -hmm. and then they do so in such a way such that if you don't they they, they make they, they'll take a statement like trans women are women, which is an argument. It's not a statement of fact. Right. But they frame it as a statement of fact, and then accuse you of wrong think for disagreeing or arguing back and not even just arguing back for getting them to explain what that even means. Like, what are they identifying as if a trans woman is a woman, then what is the woman? Well, a woman is someone who identifies as a woman. What are they identifying as? <laughs> it's like, it's, they it's don't know circular. the word tautology. Like they've never heard yes. that thing before. It really is a circular definition. Yeah. So and, yeah, they also want an, a definition that, did you see that other one that went viral of like, what's a woman? And it's like, it, seven pictures of a text thread that somebody was going through. <laughs> yeah. Like they need some exact definition. So it's like, okay, well, what is a can of Coke? And you're like, I don't know, an aluminum can filled with Coke. Well, if there's out of these 200 million that are produced, one of them like is weird looking or otherwise got filled with water and not Coke because of some weird thing in the, the assembly line. Okay. Well then that's not a can of Coke because something else can happen like this, this the definitions have to be you know you can't do anything though like, oh, you can't use xy because some people have androgen sensitivity syndrome <laughs> you know like okay well if we're gonna do that you can't define anything yes that's that's what i think they want though i think, I think but just for this they're happy that a home has a definition rent has a definition a trash can has a definition yeah. everything else right yeah. you literally wouldn't be able to talk without that yeah, and this is the this is what we're seeing, and and it's not just with women too. We saw we watched as they did that with the definition of the word vaccine, for mm -hmm. example. Um, they they've changed the definition of that. They and they, they natural do this immunity too. All yeah. across the board, these these definitions are being warped and distorted. And it's like anytime you push back, they call you a right wing, you know, fascist or whatever. Or conspiracy theorist. Yeah, that's that's another favorite one. And yeah, I, I wear that label proudly. Yeah, I love to theorize about conspiracies. Yeah. It's one of my favorite hobbies. I think it's funny at this point when people dismiss me with that term. I'm just like, okay, you think that like, it's like all right. Have you, have you ever it's read not a, an argument? Have you ever okay. read a book? I mean, like conspiracies happen all the time. Yeah, well, yeah, well just... isn't critical theory the biggest conspiracy theory of them all? Exactly. You know? I mean, it what... presumes a future that all of this is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, yeah, I'm like, it takes one to know one. Like, geez, wow. That's ridiculous. Well, and this is why, you know, heterodoxy or just in having a lot of people from disparate uh, perspectives come together and have a discussion is so important because the way humans work, the way that we, we define rea reality by consensus. And if you either don't allow that process to happen by interfering with it, or you maintain that, you know, some extreme position is, is, is the, is the consensus when it's, it's not, you end up with violence, you end up with mental illness, you end up with people losing their, their jobs and their sanity. Uh, and, and that's kind of what we're seeing, you know, the, the economic situation in New York city, for example, post lockdowns, uh, is, is not good.
the the mental the mental illness on display on the streets yeah. i can't tell you how many times i'm out walking my dog and i see somebody babbling to themselves or urinating in the yeah. street and, and look it's not like this wasn't happening in new york before like there was always that in new york but again it's that extent. order of magnitude it's increase it's the increase it's it's just there's so much there's more of it to the point where it's noticeable and it's noticeable to us because we live here so graffiti what, 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 do you mean? what are you noticing just like what, what, I, I missed that part so a lot more of people like having mental health episodes in public so yeah. either okay you know, you see people like, like I saw when I went out to the, we went to the, we're going to the car the other day, I walk out in front of my building and across the street, I see a man urinating into the street facing me and yelling at an invisible character, like angry, like screaming, like at somebody who was, you know, something that was tormenting him. And I was just like, well, that's, you know, standard. And you, you see stuff like that all the time. That's right? more common than it used to be, right? Because that, that, that's sort of like, I don't know, that, that's always been, if you go to New York, you would expect to see that even. Well, that, that's that's why I said that. It's just, yeah. it's not like it doesn't happen here. It does, but it's, it's the orders of magnitude now that we're seeing. Yeah, right? and the fact that you're starting to see that in weird places like Peoria, Illinois of the world and stuff like that. And that's, that's what's really weird. And you're seeing them more of it in New York. And the homelessness, the homelessness has also increased dramatically. There was a camp actually not too far from where we live over by a park. It was under uh, an on-ramp to a highway and there was dozens of people living there in tents and you yeah. know, cardboard box shelters. They had to go in there and fence off the area and you know, kind of just evict all of those people. Is that Riverside Park you're talking about? Uh, it's, well, I don't really want to give specific oh, okay. parks, yeah. but, um, it was, you know, they, they went in there they closed it off and basically all those people are gone and you, you can walk around the street anywhere. There's scaffolding in my neighborhood. Someone's living, on someone's there. living yeah. at least one person, sometimes two yeah. or three. It used to not be like, that. it was never like, it was that. not like that two years ago. Yeah. Not prior to the, and the uh, there's also a lot of businesses that there's turnover. There are places that are being newly leased and I'm seeing new places open up, but there's still quite a lot of places here that are still permanently closed. And wow. Boarded. So, so yeah. yeah, scars, those are like scars from the pandemic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, and the thing is that, you know, when they, the left makes these arguments that we need these radical interventions yep. in order to deal with the problem, nobody wants to have the discussion. Okay. Well, what else could we do? What are the, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I shouldn't even say also, like, can you make, things worse by trying to fix things and you can yeah. i should say scars of pandemic policy yes. that's what it's really that's what it's really from i was kind of i was kind of going to correct you a bit on that and i was like yeah, yeah. i was going to say I had to, so but, i had to do that to myself a yeah. lot you know a lot of times i was to remind due, yourself yeah. due to the pandemic not the virus it really wasn't the pandemic it, the it was more of the lockdown the or the response to yeah yes and, that and that's the, the other thing coming from like a background of mostly in medicine I, I've been to top medical conferences, like in a in a neurosurgery niche, my my whole life. And these are, you know, all the the knowledge of medicine, especially within like specialties, is held collectively. So if you took there's seven thousand neurosurgeons in the United States, if you took them down to like twelve and you selected twelve and you wiped the other ones out and you recloned that twelve up to seven thousand, you've just lost about eighty percent of neurosurgery. It's held collectively and there's all kinds of different schools and thoughts and practice and how you do this. Like there is not agreement between 
physicians within their own practice with their partners. And they do things wildly different. To say that there was a wild consensus on something that was quote unquote new, brand new, a coronavirus that we'd never seen before is, wasn't always BS. There's no chance that there was any consensus on that. They, it was just, they said there was, right? But clearly people like um, Johnny Anitas, Jay Bhattacharya, Mary Bowden, Paul Merrick, Peter McCullough, all these people Grace speaking Barry. out early and often, but they just didn't get there. It's, it's, I wish, one of the things Trump could have done, it's my biggest critique of Trump. Um, you know, generally I think that Trump, you know, I do not think he was a bad president, but the one thing I think he screwed up on was he allowed Fauci and Burks to do the thing. He should have, they sort of knew that this was coming in January for to knock them out, got Bhattacharya in there, got Ianidas and put those, had Scott Atlas, all those people had their spam academic fasters. These guys don't know what they're talking about. We might've had a chance to not like actually have something approaching sane pandemic policy. Yeah, I think Trump got really caught off guard by the whole pandemic thing because in the, if we if you recall, you know, January, February of 2020, they were trying people, to impeach him. Well, first yeah. of all, people were still minimizing the the coup. Yeah, and it wasn't. We, were, a thing we were still, you know, as as late as I think it was, you know, early March, um, we had De Blasio telling people here in New York City, "Not a big deal. Go yeah. out. You know, go to the the celebration. Go. I think it was the Chinese New Year's parade yeah. or something." Yeah. And then not three weeks later, yeah. it was a complete 180 in policy. Total opposite. And we saw the same thing with Fauci and, and the masks. You know, at first it was like, oh, no, don't don't get them. You don't need them. It should really only be for healthcare workers. And then, you know, three weeks later, it was back. Oh, you need them. And then it was, oh, you need two. And then I remember there was a period where it was like, oh, you need three. And I was just like, <laughs> are we really just going to keep going here? Like <laughs> And in that, in Dr. Maybe you should get an N95 with a yep. surgical mask over top. That's the issue. Right? That's <laughs> the issue. Yeah. We had Dr. Mark Changizi on, to, and he's been a very uh, loud anti-mask advocate, pointing out a lot of the the scientific research on the subject. And he's, he's been censored on across yeah. multiple platforms. So he he studies. Uh, well, he just put a book out. Actually, he co-wrote with someone, but about facial expressions and and communication and. This was one of the reasons he was very critical of the masks because yeah. he's like, this This is integral stuff to our ability to communicate with each other as humans. And what are we doing to ourselves by blocking that off and more specifically blocking that off from children who are still developing and trying to figure out how to communicate. And they're still doing it here in the city. A lot of the schools and, and a lot of and around the country yeah. too. A lot of schools, even though the mandates have been dropped, individual schools. Oh, okay. So the mandates are dropped, but that doesn't mean individual schools yes. might still persist. Or okay. businesses. Yeah. So like Broadway, for example, just lifted the mass mandate July 1st. It's going to lift. Okay. I get yeah. it. And it's also really yeah. funny too, because you go into the comment section on Twitter where they, the Broadway Association announces this oh, and there's all, back. All, all these people lamenting the loss. Yes. 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 You're going to kill all these people. Yes. And no. how, what do you think? Are those like people that are OCDs? Cause I almost feel like what we did um, was there were bots. a handful of people could be, Yeah, <laughs> but there's always your fringe pitch of population. So when you have the pandemic, which is radically or pandemic policy, which radically upends people's lives, then you get an increase in people beating their kids. Now these, like these aren't like the best parents in the world, I guess, but they were doing like at least the bare minimum. They were, they were on the edge, but then you destabilize them and then it goes to abuse. You think that some of these people about COVID were already like 
almost like such severe hypochondriacs, but they're still functional. But now you've, you've made them crazy because yeah. of this. You've normalized yeah. their hypochondria. I think so, man. I think there are some people who were broken by this, broken by the propaganda. And honestly, I'm afraid that there are going to be a few, hopefully it's not too many, who might not ever get over that. Yeah. And, and the thing is, you weren't, there were so many people. This is the consensus. This is the medical consensus. You know, it, it seems like if there was always this other school of thought saying, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, you, you would have to weigh those two together and, and less people go, but no, this is the consensus and we're going to knock everyone off. So like, wow. And all of your sense-making institutions. I mean, I don't blame the average person for saying, well, Harvard shut down, Stanford shut down, Yale, all these are the, all they're, they're all saying the same thing. Well, it's gotta be true. Yeah. And then, a you lot know, of and then there's one girl out here that made a movie Plandemic, right? And she says, no, this is all, you know, but she's crazy, right? <laughs> I get that. I, you know, I get where people might say, yeah, COVID is, is the craziest thing we've had in a long time. Well, there, and there was a lot of people that never heard of Event 201 that don't know that, you know, before the year before we had the, you know, the pandemic, we had uh, a lot of wealthy, um, billionaires and technocrats coming together to do this exercise around the coronavirus and they had simulated something very similar is that the spars pandemic or is that, is that yeah. 201 different than spars i think it's the same thing okay um but yeah the that was the name of the the event and they they called it the spars that was okay. the, the so, yeah. disease at the uh in in the simulation but they simulated all this stuff and then they did much the same thing. They had this, you know, they, they recommended masks, social distancing and lockdowns. And then they waited for, uh, you know, a vaccine to arrive and then they pushed that. And the interesting thing about the event was that they, they even went into the negative consequences of the, uh, I have to be careful here, but the injection program uh, and, and suggested in the simulation that there were problems with the injections that they had you know, conjured to solve the, 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 the fake. The, like the, what? Or like, uh, you know, bad, bad side effects and similar to the things that we're seeing now. So it's, it's just so mind blowing. And well, the, you... the part that got me was the journalists, right? They brought in the journalists. They said there were, there's going to be people pushing back with like disinformation or, or, or challenging our information. How are we going to deal with this? Like, wow. You know, that's, that's, what's crazy that, um, that you'd already thought of that. So the journalists of class had had a run through on this and, you know, they, they, okay. It, do your remember on star trek they're like you know evasive maneuver delta it's like you know do your media thing plan delta you know and that they're just automatically saying uh you know yeah false 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 on your fact check yeah and the, and that's the, the the whole fact checking industry is is very interesting especially how it plays into you know maintaining like narratives and managing the overton window of you know what is the consensus what is the range of acceptable discourse of opinions you know and as soon as the, when they when you have you know like 90 to 95% of the, the the cathedral or the legacy media mm -hmm. i hate calling it mainstream because i don't think it is it's yeah. losing that um, title but when you have them all you know mindlessly repeating the same mantras, it's very easy to sort of like those people in the middle that we talked about earlier that aren't very engaged. 
it sort of just drags them along with that. And it's very hard to get anybody to consider information or data. That means we have to expand that Overton window or consider possibilities. That means we have to make so, uncomfortable decisions. I'm going to go back to propaganda. And I think a big part of that is because people don't understand propaganda. They don't understand what it is. They don't understand how it works. And the more they don't, the more susceptible I think we are to it. We don't know how to recognize it when it's happening to us. So I'm going to bring up Mark Crispin Miller. Um, wrote the foreword to Bernays' book, Propaganda, was a professor here in New NYU. York at NYU. And right from the beginning, he was like, um, guys, this this is propaganda. Literally teaching the course on like, propaganda. The guy who literally teaches the course was like, guys, what they're doing right now with these policies, this is propaganda. Did they fire him? And he got, yeah, he got fired all that stuff. <laughs> oh, I want to get him on the show, actually, but. Ouch. Yeah. I guess getting fired is even worse than losing your Twitter account. But yeah. Like, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, they really, they really came for him, you know. Because well, the other thing too that I think it's the question. He was telling them this stuff. He was like, "Look, you know, we should be able to analyze this as propaganda because that's what I'm seeing." And like, no, you can't, you can't say that. You're putting people in danger. So, do you also do what virology, right? That the Fauci's virology, epidemiology, and all this. Like, virology is not a clinical science. So like McCullough is a cardiologist. He's actually treating patients. Fauci's never seen a patient. Yeah. You know, virology doesn't do that. This is a lab science. And I don't think we know that much about virology. This is the thing. I think this is an incomplete science and where that, that always let the, the clinicians are always, if you talk to them about cell, and I, I would do this, this is what part of what you do. Try to talk to a clinician about cell biology. They're like, look, dude, I'm a physician. Like I deal with the patient, you know, they don't want to hear about Golgi complexes and ribosomes. <laughs> like maybe they might be interested in a little bit of the mechanism, but they want to see, does this work? Because so many things that work in vitro and in the lab do not work in the human body. Right. So like this whole idea of just what they're doing. Um, oh, MNRA, we've got this virus. We understand the virus so well. Does not mean your treatment or your vaccine is going to work at scale. And, and this is what we have seen, right? You know, we were promised safe and effective and we were delivered questionably safe and mm -hmm. not, not effective. I mean, it, if we, if we take the standard of vaccination, you're and, being really light there, Brent. Well, it's, <laughs> <laughs> they change the standard A vaccination doesn't mean that it prevents infection. Yeah. That's what it's always meant. Yeah. Like, yeah, which goes back to what, we were, what Brent was saying earlier about what they're doing with words, you know, trying to warp definitions um, to fit whatever agenda that they're pushing at the time. You know, they literally changed the definition of natural immunity to include vaccines in it, which is crazy. It's like mm -hmm. not only do they want us to not have these conversations, they want us to be not able to have the conversations yeah. by destroying the language around them. And that I find so offensive to sinister. me. Sinister. It's sinister. It's sinister. You know, a, a lot of people, especially Tim Pool, and this is one of the points I like to criticize him at, they like to throw out Hanlon's razor. And for those mm -hmm. that aren't familiar with Hanlon's razor, this is the idea that don't, don't you know, say that somebody's behaving uh, with malice when it's possible that they're incompetent. Yeah. I, I like to flip that around yep. 100%. I like to say, wait, don't assume they're being incompetent when you haven't ruled out definitively that they're acting in malice. Yes, deliberately. Deliberately. Because sure, I well, think that would be a corollary to it, right? Corollary. Yeah. yeah. It's so a that would make sense. Oh. That's a reasonable corollary to put on there. 
So it, it's the same thing of like absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Exactly. Exactly. And it's important that we're able to look at the question of malice. You know, people don't like to go to malice because that, you know, we're getting in now into conspiracy theory territory. But when you have so many things lined up, like, you know, Fauci going to the NIAID and NIH and getting his plan to do this gain of function research rejected, um, and then laundering the money through Peter Daszak's EcoHealth Alliance so that they could take that money and that research over to China where they can actually do it. Yep. Like when you see all these things lined up, it looks like, look, they were told no, they were told no. And then they did it underhandedly so that they could do it here. And then we have this outbreak. And then you have the Fauci emails, which came out, which suggests that they knew that it's possible that they were responsible and they buried that in the mm -hmm. media. And, you know, and then when it came to investigating the origins of the pandemic, who was put in charge at the who? Well, look, and lo 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 and behold, it was Peter Daszak. So we have a very clear case of the fox guarding the hen house, so to speak. Yeah. And yet it's not called out. He was writing, you know, in New York Times, happy to publish Peter Daszak's op-eds and his opinion pieces. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, this is so... You know, it's such a laws in this and in, in governing like sales and medicine. Um, you have the Sunshine Act, because what companies used to be, what used to would be like, hey, um, you know, I sell, you know, some drug like, uh, you know, just pick, pick whatever Lipitor, pick your favorite drug or something. And this was happening more in like the 90s, where you would then say, you're going to have a 10 day medical conference in Hawaii and you invite all these doctors. And then the conference is one day, but you've paid for the hotel and the trip for nine days. And then you've given the doctor and the family like a nine day vacation in Hawaii. Do you think that that might actually like you know then when the competitor shows up and says maybe you should use uh my brand x and they're like well i think i might stick with this because <laughs> yeah you were buying off doctors like this would happen all the time so they they would they said okay you can't do this and there's all kinds of conflicts of interests and any they the other thing they did was they made if you're getting money as a doctor from a company like if J&J is giving you money, you have to publish this on a website so you could go, look, I can tell you how to find out what they're doing this. And this is so patients could come in and say, okay, well, he seems to be getting a lot of money from Johnson Johnson. That's fine because maybe he's helping them do research, but now I know if he's gonna be, you know, that he's biased. All of these are conflicts of interest. And you have to say before you give a medical speech, I get X amount of money from this company. It's yeah. the same thing. With you. But they are doing none of this. Right. Exactly. Also, all these laws exist for a reason. Then journalists are just skirting them, just like all the shady sales reps were in the 90s. It should be like NASCARs. They should have all the sponsors slapped on them and just wear them. <laughs> yeah. So we know. <laughs> well, and this was interesting because it came up recently when Fauci was testifying before Congress and Rand Paul, I love Rand Paul when he interrogates Fauci. Yeah. He brought up the fact that CDC employees, especially you know high-ranking folk, don't have to declare if they are receiving royalty pay payments from these vaccine companies. Yeah. And he was like, well, I understand that you don't have to, but don't you think it might make sense if you guys voluntarily disclose that yeah. information? Yeah. And Fauci was giving, he just kept repeating himself being like, oh, you know, it's not, it's not a regulation. It's not in there. They don't have to do that, blah, blah, blah. And, and this is like, what don't you think for the sake of trust, maybe? You should. Well, it's like, you wonder why you have all these quote unquote anti-vax conspiracy theorists, yeah. uh, you know, complaining. It's because you guys give them fodder yeah. by, you know, taking this money, not, not disclosing your involvement and, and obviously pushing treatments, which are minting billionaires by the dozen. Yes. Your regulators cannot be receiving money from the industry. Like imagine if Pfizer, if they found was paying the FDA, 
but but they are sort of in these royalties that 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 needs to stop. Yeah, there's also yeah. a large revolving door between you know the FDA, the CDC, and the pharmaceutical industry, and this has been something that's been noticed for a long time, and yet there's been no movement on it. There's been really no mass awareness. The media doesn't like to talk about it, and often I have to wonder, you know, how many of the, the people pushing these, uh, you know, I just saw a tweet from Mark D. Levine. He's a uh, New York City, I want to say council person, but I don't remember. He's in the New York City government in some capacity, but he just announced the injections are now available for the under five-year-olds. Oh, yeah. Mark D. Levine's net worth, when I looked it up on Google, was $123 million. So my guess was that he has stock in one, at least one of the major pharmaceutical companies. And to have him put that out there as this good thing that's really important when, without disclosing whether or not he has any personal vested financial uh, you know, interests in the mass adoption or the mass distribution of these you know, injections is, is, is wrong. Yeah. Well, let me use a crypto NFT term. He's pumping his bags. He's pumping his bags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, I mean, we can, we could probably wrap it up around here. Um, do you have any closing thoughts, Brian? Any? Um, so I mean, think of that your, your point on mental health is, is a good one. And we're definitely going to hit that at our next conference. I think it'll be in October sometime. We don't have the date, like after this mines, um, IRL event, we'll, we'll get this moving. So I, I'm thinking at some point in October, but yeah, I think we really need to do that. I know it'll come in some capacity. Well, really quick. Um, I just got to figure out what, and if you, you know, you, you can always, since I, I always say, would DM us on Twitter, like your suggestions. Yeah. <laughs> I do have a, like my personal Twitter is at Brian Edward MKE. You can use that um, to any suggestions because um, I still have that. Hopefully we'll get it back. We do have a go, a give, send, go um, for that to, to get, because this is a DMCA claim. So there is a legal process. So hopefully we can get that Twitter back, but um, yeah, definitely we want to do this. Um, you know, so that, you know, keep checking, um, like the better discourse event is our website right now. It still shows the old, the April event, the, uh, in Fort Worth, but that we always use that same page. So at some point in October, so keep that, keep that in mind. If, uh, if you're listening, they're really a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I wanted to bring up something really quick too, you know, cause I mentioned earlier about having a panel about personality disorders and psychopathy and stuff. And, you know, you mentioned when you first started Misinformed, a lot of it had to do with religion and asking these mm -hmm. questions about religion. And I think tackling that subject could kind of bring some of those subjects into it as well, because one of the things that Brent and I were really fascinated with is the question of evil. What is evil? How do you define evil? Can we study evil? You know, is there a way to figure out where evil comes from? And I think that is, a, is very much related to these subjects of character disturbances and yeah, sure. those and you can see the religious element to the question yeah. you know what yeah. is evil how do we define it yeah that's good yeah point. well brent i think you know one of the issues with this topic actually is that it's it's approached too often from a religious philosophical or or a metaphysical perspective and it is not looked at enough in a, in a scientific way to mm. kind of categorically figure out although it's hard to put like units of measurement on evil yeah. right <laughs> outside of like unless you're going to pull a Robin D'Angelo and like have a unit of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we recommend the book, um, political Ponderology. We actually yeah. gave a couple of copies out at your event. In Texas. Yeah. So we brought some There's over there edition. and handed them out. Cause that's how important we think. So Bernays is, um, for Bernays propaganda. propaganda. And then 
Andrew Lobachevsky wrote the book Political Ponderology. Ponderology. I'll, I'll send you a link. Ponderology is the word okay. he, he founded that word, and it's literally Poneros, evil, and ology study. So it's the study. Right. Of I'll, I'll take a look. And this was his approach. You know, it's he, he felt like we can't just leave the question of evil anymore to the metaphysicians and, and the theologians. Um, we have to start looking at that problem in a more categorical scientific way, you know, how the brain works and those sorts of things. And, and then how that contributes to politics, right? You know, people in power and then society at large, how it affects society at large when you get people with these sorts of character disturbances in positions of power. So, yeah, well, certainly like by, by, having to claim your oppression, like being the virtue signal points, as opposed to, you know, the things that you've actually done certainly promotes like borderlines. Yeah. That this, they're like, yeah, that's my game. I know how to get this. And, and they just need to learn that all they need to do is then learn the issue. Yeah. I think there's also a sort of undiscovered group of very high functioning psychopaths and sociopaths. Yeah. And, you know, some people don't like that idea because it's a little too conspiratorial. I think it but explains a lot. <laughs> I do think it explains a lot, especially when we consider things like Jeffrey Epstein and no, other. No. But no, we're anyway, yeah. thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you, Brian, for joining us. We yeah, really appreciate really, it. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Appreciate it. We love your work. We love Myth Informed. We can't wait to, to yeah. come to the Minds event and to see more events like yeah. these because honestly, this is what we need right now because we can only get so far with this, you know, communicating over the internet is great. Mm -hmm. Um, but you don't get the full range of human communication. Yep. Uh, even, even this, you know, we're not getting all of our, the same experience that we would get being in the room together. Yeah, it is different. You know, Brent and I went to that conference and we came away from it feeling almost uplifted. You know, I'll certainly, yeah. I'll never forget that day. It was a very important day for me. Um, and, you know, we love the work you're doing. We think it's incredibly important and we commend you for it. Cool. Thank you. So I appreciate the compliment. So don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, yep. give us money if you want <laughs> and uh, share the show with your friends yeah. if you can't. And we will be back again soon with another one. Thank you guys so Later, much. Rush.